Here's an excerpt from a recent Investing Experts conversation. Welcome back to Investing Experts. My name is Rena Sherbel. Alan Brockstein, who runs the 420 Investor Investing Group on Seeking Alpha, and Julian Lin, who runs Cannabis Growth Investor on Seeking Alpha. They've both been guests many times on my podcast, the Cannabis Investing Podcast. Their first joint interview on Investing Experts, though Julian has been on a number of times before talking tech stocks via his other investing group, Best of Breed Growth Stocks. Today, we get into cannabis investing, investing timelines and horizons, stocks and REITs they like and don't like, reasons why they do and don't, a smart and sober conversation about investing in the cannabis industry. Any articles discussed today, you can find links to them on our show notes. And all episodes have transcripts available on Seeking Alpha. And for those wanting to follow breaking news and general news coverage of the markets, come listen with us at Wall Street Breakfast. We have morning episodes released before 7 a.m. Eastern and afternoon episodes released around 12 noon Eastern. We've got Wall Street Breakfast and Wall Street Lunch for all your market news needs. One of the things that I wanted to ask, and we've definitely talked about this on the Cannabis Investing Podcast before, is this notion, and it gets more convoluted probably every year, most definitely, this notion of timelines and in you know the ti- the investing timelines that investors have in the industry and how important it is to navigate where your investment is if you're not trading these stocks. Um, what would you say to investors at the end of August 2023, knowing what we know now and not knowing what we don't know, how a how important is it to pay attention to the federal legalization headlines? I will say my opinion on that briefly. I feel like at this point, nobody knows what the hell they're talking about. I think everybody's proven that in terms of predicting things. I don't know whether or not the new election coming is going to provide some very positive sentiment for the industry. Uh, I could see it going both ways, but I definitely wouldn't put your money uh, betting on on anything. Um, And I would say that it doesn't make good use of our time as investors in the cannabis industry to predict when that is going to happen. I would say we have to navigate what's in front of us. Having said that, A, do you agree with that sentiment? And B, how would you advise investors to look at their timelines? And what would you advise them based on their timelines to be looking at? Based on timelines specifically, is there something to keep in mind unique to that? I'll go first. So I think you're 100% on that people don't know what they're talking about. They'll say things like, oh, safe banking's coming. And I'll say, who cares? Safe banking doesn't do anything really for the big public companies. It's good and I'm all for it, but it, who's it help? The consumer and minority small businesses. And uh, so I would start off by saying, if you're investing in cannabis, you have to remember it's a big universe. It's not just the big American operators. And so I think I do a pretty good job of covering both ancillaries and Canadian LPs. There are other sectors I just don't care about right now. There's 
certain biotech companies and uh, there's CBD companies. So I don't mean to say that's the whole thing, but I am finding a lot of very good values in deeply discounted, debt-free, cash-rich Canadian LPs. And, uh, and then in the, on the ancillary side, I think you know they don't pay 280E tax and some of them don't have that much debt. I know I mentioned Hydrofarm has a lot of debt, but you can look at companies that have little or no debt. And, uh, and so that's the first thing I would say. So if you were to say, yeah, but I'm talking about American cannabis operators, what do you think there? And I would just say, I, I wrote for the New Cannabis Ventures newsletter yesterday, it's very important to start looking at price to tangible book value. And I, I, I know that's a term that not that many investors even care about. And if you're a growth investor, like most cannabis stock investors are, you may not even know that because it's really for growth investing, it's not really a good term. For deep value investing, it is. But I think that, uh, you know, as Julian pointed to, the debt outstanding is a big problem. And if you're thinking about who's going to make it to the finish line, people with huge negative tangible book values and lots of debt do quickly are in trouble compared to those with lower amounts of debt, high tangible book value, and a long time. And so I think that that's what investors need to start looking at. Yeah, I think um, in terms of my views about you know predicting legalization, I think unless you're making predictions about it taking a long time, it's probably um, a hard hard thing to do for your portfolio. Um, I think that it it's I mean it would have been great to say a couple of years ago, but I mean better late than never. It's probably better to position your portfolio so that it could do well, even if or especially if legalization legalization takes a long time. Um, the way these balance sheets are looking at a lot of these MSOs, as I said earlier, um, time is not your friend. You know, the, the more time goes on, the more margins get pressured. And I, I mean, really, these these names are having they're going to have to basically either issue debt or equity just to, you know, sustain current operations, pay down interest. Whereas it's I mean, yeah, I, I get that it might be a little, uh, quote, sexier, you know, to be buying these MSOs. but I am still the view that the cannabis REITs, especially names like um, IPR or or my top pick, uh, New Lake Capital Partners, are arguably the best way to invest uh, right now. Uh, just take, for example, New Lake Capital Partners. It's not going to have the same debt issues you know, as the MSOs. In fact, New Lake Capital Partners has about $40 million of net cash, which if you are familiar with net lease REITs at all, you will know that that's pretty insane. Uh, typically, uh, when you look at a name like Realty Income, uh, Realty Income has debt to EBITDA in the five and a half times range, or maybe five times range. Uh, in other words, if they're generating 500 million in EBITDA, they have like 2.5 billion in debt, um, just sample numbers, and they have an A credit, A minus credit rating. Uh, New Lake Capital has a net cash position. All right, so they don't, <laughs> they, that, I can't stress that enough. That at the same time, they're not subject to 280E taxes. They're generating around 80% or higher free cash flow margins. That's the actual, mar that's gap margins to shareholders. And they're able to pay, use that to fund a 12% dividend yield. And so, look, if in any situation where these MSOs survive, forget thrive, they just survive, don't go bankrupt, they're still running a business, 
shareholders with New Way Capital are getting this huge dividend yield. Uh, it, it should keep growing because these lease escalators grow around 2.7% every year. Um, and, you know, growth could accelerate, you know, once the valuations pick up for the stock, they're able to issue stock and uh, acquire more properties. But the idea is that uh, the downside risk here is just, it's just black day and night compared to the MSOs while still offering uh, exposure to that upside. In fact, in my opinion, greater um, upside potential than the MSOs you know, over the long term. How would you articulate the downside risk? Because it, it would seem to me, I mean, and we've talked about NLC, NLCP and IIPR a bit on the show before uh, on the Cannabis Investing Podcast. It, are you worried about the tenants? Are you worried about the tenants' ability to survive, let alone thrive? And what else? how else would you articulate the downside risk there? Of course, if it turns out, you know, that selling cannabis legally in the United States turns out to be an unsustainable business model, then at some point, you know, all of the tenants of New York Capital stop paying rent, they all go bust, um, however that looks. <laughs> um, and at which point, that, that's not too great for shareholders of New York Capital. But again, remember, they have no debt. They have $39 million or $40 million in net cash. You know, just think about the worst case scenarios, right? Um, I guess worst case scenario, they just kind of have to sell off all their properties, you know, and get some recovery for these properties. Again, there's, this is a net cash position. Uh, this is, this doesn't become a zero. Um, far from it, right? Um, you, basically the only way you get to this apocalyptic scenario where they have to sell off all their properties is if you have the names like, um, Cure Leaf, True Leaf, uh, uh, Columbia Care, Green Thumb, these, these names have to go bust before New Lake Capital reaches that position where they have to sell off their properties and probably, you know, sell it at some discount and return the capital to shareholders. Um, that downside sounds pretty good to me. Um, obviously, it, it wouldn't be ideal if everyone goes bust, but um, whereas the MSOs, there are scenarios where they go to zero just if legalization takes too long or if they never pay down debt. With New Lake Capital, that's just, it's just not there. Yeah, I don't cover New Lake Capital on my focus list of 26 names, but I looked at it while you were talking. And in the past, I've been laughed at because I warn investors, it's OTC, it's not New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. And they're like, ah, what's that matter? And I don't know that it matters that much except for the size of the investor base. But I will say positively, uh, what uh, you pointed out is correct. They have a lot of cash and no debt or limited debt. Uh, they have a lot more cash, but I think more importantly for Rena, uh, Rena, sorry, is uh, it's trading below tangible book value. So it's it's already factoring in that they won't be able to get if they have to liquidate their assets, they won't be able to get full value. It's already factored in. Yeah, it's just, it's just kind of curious. I, I think the fact that NLCP trades at this twelve percent yield. And again, I, I need to be clear that not all cannabis REITs, I don't like all cannabis REITs, um, but I, that's why I'm specifically talking about New York Capital REIT properties. But I, the fact that the landlord is trading at these valuations, um, basically seven times real estate earnings, um, it, it illustrates just how pessimistic things are in the cannabis sector. Uh, the way I view that is um, it's, it, the pessimism is not necessarily defined by how cheap the MSOs get. It, it's defined by how um, how much the valuations overall are 
from reality. Just talking about, again, I'm, I'm not trying to hate on Cure Relief so much. I know we've talked a lot about Cure Relief. Um, but like the fact that Cure Relief is trading at around nine times EBITDA, whereas Green Thumb is trading at six times EBITDA, you know, that, that indicates how weird this sector is, uh, given that, you know, Green Thumb is, has less that it's profitable on a gap basis. Um, just the fact that valuations almost seem to not make sense, that is an indication of how pessimistic things are. Um, yeah, again, with the case of New Lake Capital, I think it's being, it's like a baby thrown out with the bathwater. I think that investors, they don't want to look at the MSOs overall. Like the generalist is not looking at the cannabis sector just because they can't or they just see the stocks going down. They don't want to. And I think, ironically, investors in the cannabis sectors, they're, they seem just so razor focused on the MSO specifically, just kind of wanting to keep hurting themselves. They don't, they're not even expanding their horizons to look at, you know, names that are super profitable with no debt. What I would have been hoping for these management teams to be doing, which they haven't, um, although Terrison has been in terms of debt, is that I, I was hoping they would be being more aggressive in terms of resolving their debt, uh, even resorting to issuing equity uh, to pay down debt. And, and I realize how painful it sounds, you know, to be issuing equity after it's fallen this much to pay down debt. But at the same time, you know, when you have something like a true leaf, let's talk about true leaf, right? True leaf's trading around four times adjusted EBITDA. Uh, you know, that valuation is pretty low, but at the same time, because of how much debt and interest expenses they have, they're not really generating any cash flow, um, especially if you don't include the stock-based compensation. They're not, they're not generating real earnings for shareholders. Uh, but again, four times adjusted EBITDA. At the same time, if they were simply to issue the stock and pay down debt, that valuation four times adjusted EBITDA does not get diluted. Obviously, the equity valuations in terms of price to sales or price to earnings will get diluted. But would they? Because uh, because of 280 taxes, when you're paying down these debt, you're actually creating, you know, these are like double 20% yields, uh, free cash flow yields on the debt, um, you know, after accounting for 280 taxes. I'm of the view that if these names had substantially less debt for generating real cash flow, even, you know, no matter how pessimistic you're on cannabis, they would not be trading at four times EBITDA. Right now, the valuations here is not a custody issue. It's a debt issue. I agree. Julian, people are scared of the debt. And I happen to think that they're right to be scared, unfortunately. You know, I hate to be the guy who rains on everyone's parade because there are some cannabis stocks that here, right now, right here, I like. But the biggest are not the best. And let's just pick on Cureleaf, for instance. Uh, that is the biggest and not the best, in my opinion. And I wrote a piece on Seeking Alpha when it, I got lucky. It was at $4 when I wrote it, and that was the peak. And I said, sell the rally. That's very unlike me to tell the public to sell. And uh, although a lot of my pieces are, are, they're usually more like, don't buy it yet. But I said, sell. And my target on that is based on a pretty high multiple. Uh, Julian just said four for uh, uh, True Leave, which is correct. I was using seven for uh, Cureleaf for my year-end target, and I've lowered it to six. And my target is now 220 for year-end, and the stock is pushing $3 right now, south of three. And so what is wrong with Cureleaf? I think a lot. 
they have negative tangible book value in excess of 700 million negative. That's number one. Number two, they have a ton of debt. Number three, they're not generating positive cash flow. And I, I think there really is too much debt. And I, I think what Julian says could work if they just, even at the low price, got rid of the debt, turned it into equity. It's so cheap that maybe people would buy it. But I'm going to step back and say, wait, though, until 280E goes away or uh, you can trade on the NASDAQ because the stock would be more valuable. And I don't think either of those things are going to happen right away. I'm on the lookout, but I don't think that they're going to happen immediately. Yeah. And I think that um, related to that, I think that management teams have, that's the reason why they haven't been issuing equity is that they, they seem to be hoping for some safe banking induced rally or some miracle, you know, some Hail Mary to happen like legalization or something so that their equity will go up. And then obviously issuing equity at that point will be less expensive. But I think I think at this point um, we need to come to face with reality that our politicians, they don't they don't really seem to want to uh, remove 280 taxes or decriminalize cannabis or whatever, at least not that quickly. Um, so I think that the, the issue is that the longer they wait, you know, every single year is another year where they're having to uh, basically issue more debt to pay for their capital expenditures and interest expenses. You know, so time is not their friend when they have this much debt. Whereas, and again, they don't really have to remove all of their debt, but you know, if they were to even re remove just enough debt so that, you know, they're generating some more cash flow and that cash flow could be used to at least cover their capital expenditures and pay down more debt, then you start getting to a positive loop where time does become your friend. Um, and that, I think, in my view, kind of differentiates, you know, some of the names like Green Thumb Industries, which are profitable on a gap basis and have cash flow, you know, to pay for capital expenditures, pay down debt versus, unfortunately, a name like TrueLeave, which, again, I highly respect their management team. I, I Their stock is extremely cheap. But the reality is every year that passes by, you know, the, the valuation position gets a bit worse just because they're probably going to have more and more debt, you know, as the years go on. Yeah. So I wanted to add on Cureleaf, I was saying what's wrong with it. And I left off one thing, their current ratio. And the current ratio, I think most of your listeners probably know this, but just to repeat what it is, um, it's the current assets divided by the current liabilities. So a high number is good. A low number is bad. And for Cureleaf, that number is... I'm just looking up 0.9 times. So in other words, they have more liabilities than assets that are due within a year. And this captures, by the way, a big thing that my tangible book value barely captures. And that is uh, the income tax payable. And, uh, and I don't even throw that income tax payable into net debt, but... I think maybe I should because it's real and it's a big burden. And uh, Cureleaf owes a lot in taxes. Uh, $210 million, to be precise. And GTI, which I, I don't think it's time yet to buy GTI, by the way, but GTI shines compared to that. And I, I wrote a piece this weekend for my subscribers, and I said, 
GTI is a good replacement for CureLeaf. I don't own it in my model portfolios, but I know some people like the big MSOs, like MSOS. And uh, the, uh, the reason is it trades at three times tangible book, book not it, it has a tangible book value of 551 million, which is way more than the minus 700 million in change at, at CureLeaf. And it has less net debt and its current ratio is 1.9 times because they only have 10 million of income tax owed. GTI only owes 10 million in income taxes that haven't been paid. And for CureLeaf, it's more than 200 million. And this is a big problem for, for, you know, if you look across the entire industry, not the Planet 13 that I like, they don't have that problem, but all of them and uh, owe a lot in taxes. And, uh, you know, it, it's worse at some places than others. But I would just say, back to Julian's point about, you know, pushing the debt out. That's what some companies are doing. Air, for example, that has way too much debt and it's been killing perceptions about them. And they've been kind of extending it, but I don't think it does the trick, unfortunately. I think as long as they have debt, people are going to worry. And, you know, I like Hydroform. They have a lot of debt. It's not due until 2028, but people don't care. It's got too much debt. 2028 is a long time, especially in cannabis land. So Julian Lin runs the Cannabis Growth Investor. He also runs an investing group called Best of Breed Growth Stocks. And Alan Brockstein, the legend, runs 420 Investor. Both of those investing groups are on Seeking Alpha, and you can find a transcript of this conversation on Seeking Alpha as well. Thank you both very much. Thank you, and it was great talking with you, Julian. Yes, same, same with you, Alan. Thanks, Rena, for having us. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app, and we'll see you soon with a new episode.